Well, good morning again, Chili Bible. Yeah, a few of you are awake out there. All right. Good morning. Um, one of the things that if you read your Old Testament, you discover is the, the prophets continually telling uh, the people of God that they need to remember, remember, remember these things that uh, God told them. Remember His covenant with you. Remember uh, the, the fact that God is the one who brought you out of Egypt with His outstretched arm and by His mighty power. Remember my covenant. Remember the calling that you have. And in the New Testament, we get the same thing. Remember. Remember. Don't forget. And, and God, to help people to remember, builds into their lives uh, ceremonies and things that, that we celebrate and enjoy as a way of reminding ourselves of that which we should remember, that which should inform our lives. And so as an example, uh, last week we took communion. Why? So that we remember you know, this do in remembrance of me. Amen? And we're told these things because we are prone to forgetting that which we should hold fast to. And so one of the traditions we have here at Silicon Coffee Bible Church is to celebrate Advent. And part of the, the tradition of doing that is the lighting of candles. Uh, so far, we have lit two candles. And they are the, the symbols of first Christ, our hope, and the second for the preparation of the coming of Christ, who is our salvation. And today, we're going to remember Christ, our joy. Christ, our joy. Because the angels brought a message of joy. In the Gospel of Luke, on chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, uh, the text says this, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. And when the angels had gone away into heaven. The shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Today, we light this candle, which is a symbol of Christ our joy. And if you would pray with me. God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that the joy of Your presence our Lord, would make us rejoice in the hope we have of our salvation. Father, we know our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And we look forward to it with great joy. We pray that the joy of our salvation 
would fill us each and every single day. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, as we begin our time in God's Word this morning, I want to encourage you, first of all, to turn over to uh, Revelation chapter 18. We're going to look at all of chapter 18, the first five verses of 19. We are chewing our way through this book. We're going to uh, take a break next week uh, for and celebrate Christmas and look at that in more detail. But then, after that, Pastor Josh is going to take you to the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, and it's going to be great. It's going to be something to celebrate, and we're going to celebrate it with him. Um, uh, as you make your way to Revelation chapter 18, just listen to this quick story. Once upon a time, there were two men, and each of them at the same time built a house. And the wiser of the two dug down deep so that the foundation of his house was built upon the rock. And the other man was in more of a hurry and he built his house on the sand. And it was probably not easy to tell initially as the houses were erected uh, which had which foundation. You could tour the rooms within and not necessarily notice which house had a foundation built on sand and which had the house on the rock. You could stand outside and not be able to tell. But after both houses had been erected for a while, there came a storm. And the rain began to fall and the floodwaters rose. And then all of a sudden, it was easy to tell because the house where its owner had dug down deep until he hit the rock, his house stood through the rain and the storm and the flood. But the house that was built by the other man, the foolish man, fell with a great and sudden crash, and the flood water washed it away. You have probably heard that story before. I'm not the first person to tell it or even the best storyteller who told it. Amen. If you grew up in the church, you've probably even sung that story, right? And in this time when we are trying to remember things, it's worth telling that story again and repeating it and understanding it because it teaches us a very important Truth, a truth that we're also going to see in the text that we look at today, which is that when the storm comes, when the storm comes, then what your life is built on is revealed. When the storm comes, what your life is built on, it will be revealed just as surely, by the way, as the storm revealed who built their house on sand and who built it on the rock. Now in the passage we're looking at today, we're going to see this same principle play itself out in a, on a global scale because God will overthrow the ungodly kingdom of the Antichrist. And when that happens, it will completely collapse. And, and when it does 
people's relationship with God and what or whom they worship as God will also be clearly seen and revealed in the text. And I think that it is a deeply relevant passage for us in 2020. Because I think we'll be able to see as we look at it that God is doing the same thing on a much smaller scale right now in this year. That right now as we are living through 2020, God is shaking the little kingdoms that we have built just a little bit so that we can see what the foundation that we have built upon really is. And help us to realize whether we have an adequate foundation, one that will stand through every uh, storm, through every the rising of every floodwater, built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the solid rock. Or whether we have, like the foolish man, built on the sand. Amen? And need a different and more solid and lasting foundation. And so as we read the text, what I believe God is doing is inviting us to respond to what He reveals as we go through it. So if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to stand if you're able, uh, because I want to read God's Word. And God's Word is worthy of our honor. It comes from Him. So let's uh, read uh, beginning chapter 18, verse 1, and we'll continue all the way down through 19.5. The Word of God says this, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with His glory. And He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city! You mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds 
of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. And the fruit for which your soul long has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all those whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, and we found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And the craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who have been slain on earth. And after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just, for He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with him her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. Let's pray. Father, we who are Your servants, we who belong to Christ, do look forward to the day when evil is thrown down and in which righteousness dwells. And Father, we suffer now for a little while under the oppression and evil of the world. But we know the day is coming when all who belong to You, all who, who have been bought with the blood of Christ and brought into the kingdom of the Son whom You loved, will stand victorious over the wicked world. Father, it is my prayer that here in 2020, as we look at the overthrow ultimately of the world and its evil, that, Father, we would see that as you do this, that people's foundations are revealed. 
Father, we pray that all of us would have a sure foundation, one which lasts through every stand of Christ and the gospel and the kingdom of God and membership in your family by the Holy Spirit who changed us and baptized us into your people. Father, I pray that we might have a heart of compassion for those who have different foundations and might carry to them the message of hope which endures through all things. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you look at the first three verses of chapter 18, what you're seeing there is God's judgment having fallen. And you're seeing the aftermath of it in the rest of the chapter. And you may remember that you have seen some of these words before, about four chapters ago. In chapter 14, uh, God says that He will send three angels flying through the air around the world. And before His judgment, the final judgment of the seven bowls comes, these three angels will go through the world. And the first one will fly literally through the air around the world proclaiming the gospel to every person on earth. Because God wants to ensure that no one can say, I never heard. I never heard of Jesus. I didn't know what the alternatives were, and I just suffered your judgment with no escape. No, God is going to send, literally send an angel to do exactly that, to fill in any gaps just in case anybody has never heard. God will ensure that they do. And then He sends two more angels announcing judgment one at a time. And one of them says these very words, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. In other words, this kingdom, this worldwide empire uh, founded on false religion and on the worship of the Antichrist and of his master, the devil. That's all going to come undone here soon. And you need to realize that this is the last stop for gas, the last opportunity to repent before the judgment comes. And now we see the same words, fallen, fallen, as Babylon the Great, because it has happened. It has occurred. The harlot of the end times worldwide false religion has fallen, and with her the capital city of the Antichrist ungodly kingdom has collapsed. And the judgment that God announced has come true. And you see in the text where it references the unclean birds and detestable beasts and the haunt of demons. Let me just give you basically a summary of, of kosher in the, in the Old Testament law and what was clean and what was not. In general terms, you could eat most all of the grass-eating animals and most fish that swim through the water in pursuit. So you could eat the bass, you could eat the bluegill, you could eat uh, the crappie, you could eat the pike, the salmon, etc. But anything that was a bottom feeder, anything that lived on decay, the catfish, the shrimp, 
the clam, the oyster, the lobster, anything that lives on the, on the funk of the world, you couldn't eat that stuff. In the same way, you couldn't eat any land animal that was a predator or anything that was a scavenger. The little birds that eat seeds and grains, you could eat them. But anything that was a carrion eater, anything that dealt on death, you couldn't eat it. And so, the point being made here is that the formerly glorious and luxuriant and powerful and rich capital city of the Antichrist and the false religion that he fostered through the false prophet are dead. That all of the things that feed on death and decay, that's where they want to hang out because that's where the dead are. As Jesus said, where a dead body is, there the vultures gather. And that's what's happened. God's judgment has come and death has come along with it. It has become the haunt of demons and carrion birds and scavengers. And in a moment, God has overthrown the most powerful city the world will ever know. He will overthrow in a moment completely, bringing death to it, just like he did to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he will do so for the same reason. That it was a center for idolatry and for sexual immorality of every type and kind, and God will overthrow it in an instant. And when that happens, the reaction that you have will reveal something about you. It will reveal your relationship with God. And what follows after this, for the rest of the chapter 18 and the first five verses of 19, are all essentially reactions. Seven different ones that tell you how various beings and people are responding to what God has done. And the first reaction we see, interestingly, is God's own reaction. Do you see that? Uh, beginning verse in verse uh, five, uh, verse four, I heard a voice from heaven saying, "Whose voice? God's voice." And this is what he says: As he sends his judgment, he also calls his people to separate themselves from this ungodly place, because just before judgment's going to fall, hey y'all. Any of you who belong to me, come out of the pool because we're about to do something here that you, I don't want you to be part of. By the way, I brought up Sodom and Gomorrah. What did God do before He overturned those cities? He sent two angels into town with one purpose in mind. And what was it? To go get Lot and his family out of that place. Because Abraham, the man of God, had pled for their lives. Do you remember that? Where Abraham negotiates with God? It's like it's a, it's like it's a Middle Eastern bazaar. 
What if there were 50 people, God? Would you overflow the city then? Well, no, not for 50. How about 45? How about, and it gets him all the way down to 10. Why? Because he's counting. Lot and his daughters and their families want to get them out. And so God, in an act of grace, sends in those angels. And it says that God rescued righteous Lot. I always find that funny, that qualifier, righteous Lot. Like, he's living in Sodom, happily. But God calls him righteous Lot, and he pulls him out of that wicked place. God does the same thing here. He says to all His people, anybody who belongs to Me, who still belong, who's still part of that city, come out of there. Because judgment's coming. God is the same in the future as He has been in the past, as He remains today. He longs to rescue His people out of judgment. And also take a look at this as God is responding to this, what he is doing, how he describes himself and what he is doing. He's talking about how he brings judgment. He is paying back this wicked kingdom, this wicked city, this wicked religion and all of its immorality, and all of its greed, and all of its pride, and in a moment, that which she pridefully declared would never happen to her is happening. And God is a God who brings justice, and it's exquisitely poetic. It is with the same measure that she has measured it out to other people, she is getting it back in return. And if you're God's people, you're told, have nothing to do with this wicked place, this wicked system, this wicked belief. Get out of there. Now, I think that this text right here speaks to us, God's people. Because if you read the description of the city of Babylon as it's destroyed, it was impossible for me to read it and not think about where we live right now. A place of luxury, a place of immorality, a place where, where false religion flourishes and where the world's goods be the path to our door and seduce even the people of God. And we are told, right here, come out of her, my people. Right? And it doesn't mean separate yourself entirely and go live in the desert. We're told to be in the world and not of it. Amen? We're not to, be, to, be, to go live in a monastery somewhere. But we're told to not become little worldlings. We're to be distinct. We're not to be... To be um, just like the world with the twist of Christianity. We believe everything that everybody who votes Republican believes, but we're also Christians. We believe everything that everybody who votes Democrat believes, but we're also Christians. 
We believe everything that everybody who works for Amazon believes, but we're also believers. No, it's coming out at backwards. Our Christianity is to inform from the beginning how we live. So that we are not just like everybody else, but also Christians. That we are Christians first and most, and that our Christianity suffuses and fills all of the cracks and crevices of life and transforms how we act in every part of our life. So that we don't modify our Christianity with something else and say, well, I'm a white Christian. I'm a black Christian. I'm a Republican Christian. I'm a Democratic Christian. I'm a socialist Christian. Whatever. It's Christian that modifies everything else. Amen? And that's what that's what that's how this passage right here applies. When it says, come out of her, my people, that if you belong to Jesus, that shapes every other part of your life. That we're not we're not we're not worldlings with a twist. We're not 90% secularists who come to church on Sunday. We are Christians and it informs and transforms everything else in life. All right, let's move on. The second reaction we see is that of the kings of the earth in verses 9 and 10. And they were seduced by the Antichrist and by his immoral false religion. By the way, if you want to start yourself a false religion, a sex cult is a big seller. Okay? Where you can you can do everything that you that your body desires and lusts after, and it's not immoral, it's actually godly. And historically that's been a popular idea. And many of the world's religions have tied the worship of God and sexuality in whatever way you choose to let your freak flag fly, uh, you know, entwining the two of those. And at the end, that's what you'll have. And it says that the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with this wicked kingdom and as part of this wicked religion will weep and wail over her. Why are they weeping and wailing? Because what they've given their lives for is destroyed. And in case we have trouble understanding what it is they gave their lives for, check out what it says. Alas, alas, the great city, you mighty city, Babylon. What is it that they worship? What is it they gave their lives for? Power? and strength. And those who worship power and strength will find they have built their foundation on sand. That it slides away in the storm of God's judgment. In addition to that, um, the third reaction we see is that of the merchants in verses 11 to 17. When Antichrist and its Glorious capital still stood. They became rich beyond imagination. It says their merchants were the great ones of the earth. The great ones. 
the world's wealthiest and most powerful people were the titans of businesses. And they sold an incredible array of luxuries. There are 28 distinct categories of luxury goods that are mentioned in this chapter. Now, you may not think of cinnamon as being particularly luxurious, right? But John is writing and he's including these goods and they're meant to communicate something in his day because cinnamon comes from Southeast Asia. Specifically, it comes from Indonesia. And it's a long way between the Middle East and Indonesia. You've got to go across oceans and continents to get there. Silk comes from China. How far is that when the speediest thing you have to travel by is a horse? It's a long way. And so all of these goods, all of these goods are things which are very expensive. What's here is the clothing and the goods of royalty. And this entire city is clothed like royalty. They enjoy the goods and the treasures of those who are wealthy and powerful. If I could contemporize this, this is, this is the Bentleys and the Brooks Brothers and the Dolce and Gabbana of their day, right? Uh, this, is the, this is the high-end haute couture kind of stuff. This is the fashion houses of, of Paris. This is Dior perfume and whatever else. Right? This is the good stuff. Not that stuff you get at CVS. Right? This is an OPI. This is, this is the good stuff. Right? This is the luxury products of the world. And when it all comes coming apart, do you see one of the things that's interesting that they also sell? The last item of these 28 different things, it's, it says slaves, that is human souls. Did you catch that? Because ultimately what slavery is, is not simply the traffic in human bodies, it is the traffic in a human life. They weep over this because no one buys their cargo. Interestingly, you know, I don't know if you if you get keep up with the news or not. You know, we think of America as a place where we have outlawed slavery. Ha. We should be so lucky. We did fight a civil war to end legalized slavery and there are no more open slave markets in the major cities of the country in the way that there used to be. But did you know that of the top 10 websites that are trafficked, several of them are pornography? And it is a multi-billion dollar business and that most of the world's slave trade is engaged in the production of that filth. This last week, there was a website that received an expose in the New York Times over the, the uh, sheer vast quantity of videos that appear there, which are images of children and of women being forcibly assaulted. 
and the explanation given by the site, which generates billions of dollars every year, was we're just a platform. We're not responsible for what content goes up here. But it is the production of largely people who are held as slaves in the satisfaction of the lust of those who consume it. And if you read this passage and you think, well, off in the future sometime, God will judge these wicked people off into there and then. If God does not judge our country, men and women, he will have to apologize to these people. Because this stuff is happening right now. And God is not changed. And his views on this stuff are the same. You hear me? I hope so. This stuff happens in our day. And there are people who are more concerned with making money because that is what they worship than they are about the corrosive effect of these things on people's lives. They weep over their loss of wealth. They mourn when it ends. Why? Because they love money even though it is a foundation built on sand. Fourth reaction we see is the shipmasters and the sailors and the seafaring people in verse 19. What's their reaction? It's mourning again. They cry. They wail. This time over the loss of what? Their jobs. They had built their lives on what they did for a living and they, they saw all of the meaning and purpose of their life overturned in an hour. Interesting, isn't it? The Lord brings judgment and He overturns people's religion, their power, their wealth, their jobs, so that He can show them that they have built their life on sand. Verse 20 gives us the fifth reaction, which I think is John's. It's an exhortation reminding his readers that in contrast to all this mourning by the ungodly, that those who follow Christ should rejoice. You see that? Why? Because he says, Rejoice, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given you judgment against her. That all the people who oppressed and murdered and jailed and imprisoned and mocked and persecuted, the people of God will be overthrown. Rejoice. Verse 21 and 24, you get the sixth reaction, which I think is the angelic reaction. You see this mighty angel take a giant millstone and throw it into the sea, and as he does, prophesy... And just like this millstone is thrown down and sinks, 
so mighty Babylon will collapse, never to rise again. And there will be within it, just in case anybody's unclear what that means, no more entertainers, no more craftsmen, no more factories, no more lights, no more weddings, no more rich businessmen. It will all come to an end. And all of these things will suddenly and completely end because God will in an instant judge this wicked kingdom and this false religion for their martyrdom of God's people and for the death and destruction their rise has brought to the world. And remember why it's called Babylon. Because Babylon is the first major civilization dedicated to these things. It is built by a guy named Nimrod, whose wife uh, gives birth to a son named Tammuz, and his and the son dies, and they teach everybody that Tammuz rose from the dead. That with the cycles of the year, so is Tammuz dying and rising. And they build this whole false religion around this. In fact, even in the Old Testament, you'll see the Israelite women indicted because they're weeping for Tammuz. They have gotten sucked into Babylonian religion. And Babylon becomes essentially the opposition city. For the people of God, it becomes the name that God uses throughout the Scripture to talk about false religion and a kingdom built on power that does not derive from God. And when it all comes down, the angels rejoice. And finally, chapter 19, verses 1 to 5, we see the this, this seventh response, which is the response of the heavenly saints and also of God himself. Do you see it? What are they doing? I'll give you a hint. They're not mourning. They're not mourning. They're rejoicing. They're celebrating. They're shouting, Hallelujah. I don't know if you know this, but those are Hebrew words. Halle, Hallel, is the word for praise. Yah. Is short, the shortened form of Yahweh, covenant name of God. Praise Yahweh, praise God. And they're praising God for His power and His glory and His justice in avenging all the wickedness done by the Antichrist and his counterfeit religion and his counterfeit kingdom. And they shout praise to God because these enemies are now eternally and permanently defeated, never to rise again. And the 24 elders uh, lead the multitude in worship. And then God Himself joins in. And He speaks and He says, you see it there? Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. In other words, you who are well-known, you who are not so well-known, you who are big and important, and you who are not. Everybody join in praising God. We don't always think of God's judgment as a praiseworthy thing, but it is. Because when justice reigns, it means that wickedness ends. And God is exalted. Now, all these things will one day take place. 
all of God's enemies, all of them, up to and including the Antichrist, the false prophet, the kingdom, and the religion that they build together, even the devil himself, and all of their minions, all of their demonic horde will finally and completely be overthrown and their rule defeated. And when it is, all humanity will clearly see what they have built their lives on and what they have worshipped as God. And as the text makes clear, some people will understand to their everlasting regret that they have built their lives on a foundation of sand. That they have pursued power or wealth or a job or some false religion. And they will mourn when it blows away in the storm of God's judgment. And other people will rejoice and shout hallelujah to God because though they were temporarily ruled and oppressed and dominated by the ungodly, that they were not among them. But they had built their lives on the solid rock of faith in Jesus Christ and membership in His kingdom, which is coming. Now, I believe, I said this before, but I want to reiterate this for us all. I believe the same thing is happening on a smaller scale to us right now. Right now, as we live in 2020, this pandemic is revealing what people have built their lives on and revealing that power and wealth and jobs and things and fake versions of Christianity and all kinds of other religions and ickisms and spasms that people have in our culture, that they are all a foundation of sand. And you cannot successfully build your life on them. You can't. Because when the storm comes, it doesn't hold up. God is shaking our world, I think, so that people can see what remains unshaken when everything is shaken. And I think the text invites us in circumstances just like the ones we're in to respond. And it invites us to respond in a couple of ways. One, it invites us to repent. When this happens in the future, it will be too late to repent. God's judgment will already be there and it will be upon you. But many of us have realized in this last year that despite our trust in and our faith in Christ, we have tried to build our life partly also on the sandy soil of other things. We need to confess to God that we have done that, that we have partially built our lives on our jobs, that we've partially built our lives on having a certain social life or a certain level of comfortable circumstances, a certain kinds of possessions, uh, that we've built our lives on having the politicians that we like in power and the ones that we don't like not in power. 
we have built our lives at least partially on being in control of our circumstances. Boy, do we like that most of all. I get to control everything in my life. Yeah, bet not. And we don't know, a lot of us, how to cope with pain or with change or with uncertainty by trusting in Christ. And so some of us, some of the people of God, it's highly understandable if unbelievers do this. But some of us, some of the people of God, have turned to pornography or turned to drugs or turned to alcohol or turned to infidelity or turned to just numbing yourself with entertainment. You know, I don't know how to zone out any other way, so I'll just turn on Netflix and watch until my brain turns to jello. Right? I gotta do something to deal with the pain I'm experiencing. And if that describes you in any part, let me remind you there is grace every day. There is forgiveness every single day. Every moment of every day, there is grace available to you. And God is a God who not only forgives wickedness and sin, He delights to do so. And when His children come to Him, they are granted forgiveness and a new opportunity to start over. So if as you look at your life and all that's been shaken in this year and you go, whoa. I watched some, some of my stuff wash downstream this year because it was built on the sand. And take the opportunity to repent. To confess that to God and to say, Lord, I don't really know how to trust you in these kind of circumstances and I need help. Please help me to trust you and to build my life on you. Because how do you learn to trust God? Same way you learn to ride a bike. By doing it. Right? And when you fail, you confess and you get back on the bike. Right? That didn't go well. Got to get back on. Put my, both feet on the pedals and try and ride again. Right? Lord, I failed to trust you today. Help me to trust you today. You know, very much like the man who comes to the Lord and needs to have his daughter healed. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I'm not trusting you, but help me trust you. Right? I trust you in these days. Help me build my life on you. And then as we repent, guess what we should do then next? Another R word. A good one. Rejoice. Rejoice. Not only because God forgives, but rejoice with the saints and angels over what God is doing in these days. Because alongside all of the stuff that has rained down in these days, guess what else? Is happening. God is at work. And one of his 
most powerful works that he does in times like this is reveal to people what the foundation of their life is. And, and it is God's gracious work to help people to see, hey, guess what? Even though you know the song, you didn't build on the, on the rock, you built on the sand. You need a better foundation. And God is bringing many people to faith in Christ in this year, in this community, in this time. And He is doing so specifically because it is this time that He is taking us through. This is not a shock to God that we're living in these days. This is part of His design, His plan, His purpose to bring about repentance and life to many people. And so we should rejoice. We should praise Him for taking the scales from people's eyes and helping them see what their life is built on. He, we should praise Him and rejoice for the times when He takes the scales from our eyes so that we can see what we've built our life on other than Jesus. And then having done that, God is calling people out of darkness into His light, into the kingdom of His Son whom He loves. Amen? And we need to rejoice in that. Because that's happening right now. It may even be happening right this very moment in this room. I hope so. And let's pray. And then let's stand and sing and rejoicing to God for what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do. Amen? Let's pray. God our Father, we thank You that You are a gracious and a good God, a God who loves us enough to make our lives uncomfortable sometimes. And Father, this year our lives have been uncomfortable because in Your kindness You have shown us what the foundations of our life are. In some cases, Father, we've built on sand. And we need a better foundation. Father, I pray... If anyone here watching this video or here in the room with me in person has built their life on the sand that they would repent, they would come back to you and they would say, Lord, I, I built my life on something that's just temporary and I need Jesus. Help me build life on that which will withstand the storm. Help them, Father, put their trust in you. And Father, help us all to rejoice that You are at work in these days. That You are saving many people's lives in these days. That You are calling men and women and boys and girls to Yourself at this time. Help us, Father, to rejoice in what You're doing, what You will do, what You have done here at this Christmas season. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.